Welcome to the Exit Insights podcast. Today, I'm talking to Deb Oxley, and she's the Chief Exec of the Employee Ownership Association. Welcome to the show, Deb. Thanks, Daryl. Nice to have you. Sorry, nice to be here. (laughs) Great to have you here. Hey, uh, Deb, tell us a bit about the EOA, the Employee Ownership Association, and how it started and and what it is, just for those who really haven't heard of employee ownership before. Sure. So the EOA, as you said, the Employee Ownership Association, we're a membership body for businesses in the UK that are already employee owned or founder owners who are exploring employee ownership. Uh, The organisation has been around 42 years this year, uh, but we've only been a membership organisation for about 20 years of that. Um, And yeah, we support the whole of the United Kingdom. We work with partners in Scotland and Wales, uh, particularly in Scottish Assembly Government and Welsh Assembly Government. Um, Employee ownership, uh, our definition of that is really straightforward. It's when everybody in a business has the opportunity to have a stake and a say in that business. So it's not the situation where some people have shares and some people don't. Um, It's where everybody has the opportunity. And that can manifest itself in direct shares or indirectly through shares being held in a trust or through some sort of hybrid arrangement where there's a little bit of each. Great. And it's a really nice distinction just to, to get the clarity around what is known as employee ownership as opposed to, you know, joint and several people owning shares in the company. So when everyone gets to participate, has the opportunity. And by the way you worded that, it sounds like they can choose not to. Uh, Well, it depends what the model is. So if it's a trust-based ownership, so let's say, for example, 60 or 70% of the shares are held in a trust, then the trust exists for the beneficiaries and the beneficiaries are all of the employees. So in that case, all employees benefit from that ownership stake. If it's a direct form of employee ownership where individual employees own shares, they own shares normally by buying them. So that is a choice. But even so, it's still open to everybody. So it's a distinction between that employee ownership, where it's all employee ownership, or versus employee share ownership, which some, of, which some of your listeners will be familiar with, and many of them may use already in their businesses. So they may use schemes like the EMI scheme or the CSOP scheme or, um, or other forms of share ownership where a small number of people are afforded the opportunity to participate in share ownership, which has its place in business, just like most tools have their place in business. But employee ownership is where everybody in the business has a, an equal stake or an equal opportunity to have a stake in that business. Brilliant. And it's, it's something that some of us have only just beginning to hear or a lot of listeners may not have even heard of before. What, what's the status? Is it popular? Is it, is it a, a secret? Well, I've I've always lived by the mantra that when people say it's the the best kept secret, that's a really bad place to be. You don't want to be a best kept secret. We want employee ownership in the mainstream. We want more businesses to be aware of it as an option, particularly at the point of succession. So the, 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 some of your members will know, some of your listeners will know that you know, one of the oldest employer businesses in the country is the John Lewis Partnership, 100 plus years old. So it's certainly not a new thing. However, it's true to say that it has substantially grown since 2014. And that's because the government then introduced a new form of employee ownership called an employee ownership trust or an EOT. And that was introduced specifically to stimulate interest in employee ownership from SME and family owned business owners. 
um, particularly at the point of succession planning. So when they are thinking about handing the reins on to the next generation of owners. And so since 2017, uh, over 60% um, growth has happened in the sector since 2017, even though the model was introduced in 2014. It's taken that amount of time to, to build awareness of it, um, particularly amongst advisors like accountants and lawyers and banks. There, it's still a modest part of the economy um, and its untapped potential is huge. So there are about 600 plus EO businesses, employee-owned businesses in the UK. They're, they employ somewhere in the region of 200,000 people and they contribute collectively about 30 billion pounds annually to the economy. Um, the EOT model that I mentioned earlier specifically has probably about 450 of those in that 600 plus um, so you can see where that growth has come since 2014. And we estimate that that model in those 450 businesses has either saved or created over 37,500 jobs. Um, and actually, the latest stats I heard from a company who monitor the EOT, uh, they said that one in 20 business transfers are now an EOT structure. Wow, one in 20. So that's uh, some real take up. Mm hmm. Okay, so uh, how long would it, you know, if we're, if we're going to decide that, hey, employee ownership is, is for us, who would decide, you know, so the owners go, you know, how would they make the choice between employee ownership or if they're going to, you know, sell the business through more traditional methods, through a sale or trade sale or what have you? That's a great question. Um, so I can tell you what we hear all the time. So business owners um, obviously get to a point um, thinking about the next step on their journey and that's their personal journey normally um, and what they're looking for in the main those that come to employ ownership is they want to secure a legacy for the business so they want to know that they're keeping it in safe hands and that might be about the fact that it's a family-owned business or you know it's a business that's been around for a few decades and they really don't want to see it just disappear uh, they're probably driven by wanting to protect jobs so the jobs of the people who've helped them build that business. And some of them will state that they also want to share some of the proceeds of success with the employees. Um, many of them will say they want to go at their own pace. So with a trade sale, the pace of that trade sale can mean that the original owners leave the business quite quickly. Um, and hence, lots of owners, founders put off that succession discussion till the very last minute because they think once they start, it's going to be taken out of their hands. Whereas with the employee ownership journey, you can decide as an owner the pace at which that exit happens. And of course, all of them want to receive good market value for their business. So when they're looking at the options in front of them, whether it's a trade sale, management buyout um, or employee ownership, I guess what most owners are doing is they're weighing up that criteria. So for those business owners that want to achieve the set of criteria I've just mentioned, employee ownership is a really good option. If for another owner, they're not particularly interested in some of that criteria, they just want to achieve fair market value, then actually they may look at a trade sale. Um, but we are seeing an increasing number of owners who actually uh, are starting to look at succession earlier than they may have thought they would do because they can see they can manage this under their own terms and even think about employee ownership for growth purposes, you know, for scaling up opportunities rather than just succession. Yeah, look, I see so many opportunities and, and you know, in that last, I guess, uh, answer, you, you, you've given me a whole stack of things to, to go with. So let me pick up one that I just remembered. 
Did you imply that um, employee ownership, if an organization sells to an EOT, for example, that they sell at a less than a market rate? No, I think that's one of the urban myths about employee ownership, um, which I've certainly read, um, which is, you know, well, you're not going to achieve full market value. Well, you can achieve full market value. Um, there is a very uh, attractive tax incentive associated with the EOT, however, which is if you sell more than 50.1% of your shares to an employee ownership trust, then you are exempt from any capital gains tax on the proceeds of that sale. A second benefit is that the employee owners that are a result of that, that, that transition to employee ownership then benefit from being able to have a tax-free bonus paid annually up to the value of £3,600 per person. So, so there is a, a financial advantage to, to going down that route. And at the same time, you can achieve full market value for your business. You may not achieve the highest possible value because if you want to sell the business quickly and there is a trade sale buyer waiting in the, the wings to do that, you might take that option. So, you know, I guess every business owner is going to make the decision that they want based on the, that criteria that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. So if, leave, if leaving a legacy, if, um, if exiting on your terms, if retaining some ownership is important to you. So if you look at some of the businesses that have transitioned to employee ownership in the last couple of years are quite high profile ones. So businesses like Richer Sounds or Riverford Organics, in both cases, the owner founders did not sell 100% of the equity to the employee ownership trust. Um, they've sold a majority, but they've retained a percentage for themselves and their families. Now, over time, they may sell some more or they may not, but that's the benefit you get from the EOT. You know, you can choose to retain some ownership if, say, you've got family members who you think in the future might want to um, enact that ownership stake in some way. It's, it's always a dilemma, isn't it? We, we've been talking to business owners and, and working in this field for years, and um, the, one of the things that come up is, is the conversation of, Hey, look, how do I get the balance right? You know, I want to leave a legacy, oh, but I want to maximize value. So it, it's, mm. you know, it's a dilemma mm. that every business owner has to deal with. And, and you're saying that with employee ownership, we, we get the best of both worlds because we can not only help uh, and, and get uh, align everyone to achieving and getting remunerated or rewarded for the same goals. You know, we can do it over whatever time period we want so we can hang around in the business as business owners and, and help mentor and, and contribute and make sure that the, that uh, everything's going along as we expect it to, to be. Um, we continue to grow the business. Employees are motivated because, you know, they've got a bit of skin in the game. You know, there's some education. Everyone grows because they learn about business management and, and how the business runs rather than just, you know, showing up for work. So the culture, um, I, I guess you've got some thoughts on culture. How does culture change? Uh, with with employee ownership normally yeah. goes up yeah you know more about it than I do Daryl um yeah <laughs> you, no, no you well you're right I mean you've 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 sort of um put the finger on all of the benefits that result from employee ownership but the most important point we we, we were talking earlier about the transaction so we talked about the transaction of how do you how do you manage the the change of ownership but what you've now moved on to is the change of culture because yeah. undoubtedly to, in order to reap the full benefits of employee ownership, there has to be a way of bringing that ownership stake to life, which is why, additionally, the businesses that move to employee ownership, 
in the main have probably already had quite an inclusive culture. They've probably already empowered people from within the business. Uh, it may be quite informal in the way it happens, and it may be very much predicated on the leadership style of the owner. And that's one of the, the, the real benefits of the employee ownership structure is it secures that culture for the future. So yeah. it, it de-risks the business of changing too much when the leadership changes or when the ownership changes. But to go back to that cultural piece, you're absolutely right. Employee ownership happens when everybody has a stake and a say. And we've talked about the transaction of giving everybody a stake and the tax advantages of that. Um, but the, uh, the, the transition of creating um, an environment and a culture where everybody has a say is as equally, if not more important, because that's really what creates the magic. That's really about how do you really empower people and engage employees to feel like owners and to act like owners. Because it's only when people act as an owner that the business will really see those benefits. So how do you do that? Well, I mean, there's a raft of different sort of techniques that any employer business would look to use. One of them would be how do we get voice from the employees into the decision making process without it becoming um, overly restrictive, uh, slowing everything down and really not realistic to do. So in these businesses, it's not one person, one vote. What you have is representation of voice normally. So however big the workforce is, and obviously every business is of a different size. So, you know, I was talking to our colleagues um, in Lush Cosmetics yesterday. So they are a member of the EOA because 10% of the equity of Lush is held in an employee benefit trust. So slightly different to an EOT, but still a trust structure. Now, they're a global business operating in 22 countries with 9,000 people. So they've got a structure of having over 400 of their colleagues are representatives giving voice to the 9,000 and having a direct influence through to trustees who sit and look after that 10% of the equity, two of whom are employee representatives. And that trustee group then interface into the main board of the company. If you're a small manufacturing business with 50 people, of course, you're not going to have that type of ratio of that type of number, those types of numbers, but you might have a similar sort of ratio. You might have, for example, one of your employees appointed or nominated um, to sit as a trustee on the trust. You may then have some sort of employee forum where colleagues um, uh, elect their, somebody to, or a couple of people to represent their voice. And that's really important because if you're going to have ownership, you also need to have influence. Otherwise, what's the point in having ownership? And for those listeners who are a bit scared about that and think, oh, my goodness, that sounds like I've lost control. It absolutely isn't about control of day to day operations. The day to day operations of any business need to be enacted in the usual way with accountabilities and responsibilities and performance measures. And all of the businesses that I'm talking about all do that anyway. This is about providing an opportunity for employees to bring their whole self into the office to really act and behave as owners, taking responsibility, benefiting from the rewards, um, getting the extra rights, but taking the extra responsibility that is so necessary if you're really going to see the benefits of employee ownership. Yeah, you've again, Deb, you've touched on so many things and you're leaping ahead to the questions that I'm already thinking about, which is 
uh, amazing. And and you know, one of the ones, the questions that come up is is always about control. You know, business owners say, you know, do we lose control of the business? Oh. You know, it's my baby and what have you. And uh, you know, I think one of the things that we're always doing with business owners is is educating them around you know the benefits of business ownership. And and if you take the normal scenario, is is we tend to bundle you know the income or the you know the money we get for doing a job. We, we bundle that with the ownership, which is, you know, the responsibility to provide funding for the business and, and well, really cultural leadership for the business and, you know, the big idea of the business and, uh, you know, all of those things that the founders do and get dividends and capital growth. And we also blend it in with the responsibilities of control and governance and compliance, which is the board. So what we educate business to do is go, let's unbundle those three hats, income, ownership and control, and, and try and get them to function and, and, and you know, wear different hats and think differently when they're doing different roles. So introducing employee owners in, then we need to educate them the same. And so when you're doing your job, you're just doing your job. And do you just so happen to be a shareholder? So you'll get some you know, profit return, profit share, however we want to call that, label that. And some of you may end up on the board, which is the control and strategy you know, side of the business, but it's a separate function. You're in a different hat. You need to think differently when you're on the board. So what you're saying to us is functionally, it doesn't change. It just means that more people are involved. Well, it doesn't, but I think I'd probably challenge slightly what you said there. Um, Because whilst you're absolutely right, the operational management of the business still has to be led by the right functions and the right levels of authority who are rewarded appropriately to take that accountability. So that's absolutely right. And, you know, that for me, having run my own small business, I couldn't have imagined it working in any other way. However, where I slightly disagree is on a day-to-day basis, you know, Monday to Friday, whatever the business operating hours are, I still want people to come to work feeling like an owner. Mm. And that means taking responsibility every day for what they do. So it changes the dynamic of the relationship, I think, from being paternalistic, sort of parent-child relationship, which you often see in SMEs and family-owned businesses, you know, very protective, you know, the parental sort of role and responsibility. We'll take all the decisions. We'll take all the pressure off you. You don't have to think about that. We just want you to come in and do your job. And actually, it moves it to an adult-adult relationship, which is about stepping up, taking responsibility, feeling like you can be empowered to take decisions. And ultimately, I mean, that is that distributed leadership that, you know, really getting the the maximum value out of people is the art of good leadership anyway, you know, and uh, organizations in this country that are focused on uh, driving productivity gains, particularly through SMEs, will tell you that one of the biggest challenges of SMEs is leadership and management, where there is not formal uh, development of leaders and managers so what you end up with is you know these quite as I say quite paternalistic structures where people who you know are only the quality and the ability of those people are, are only slightly tapped into there's lots of untapped potential in the workforce mm-hmm. now I, I think from what I've seen in employer businesses which outperform others in terms of productivity You've only got to look at the top 50 biggest employer-owned businesses by size, which we report on every year. Last year, we reported that the productivity of those top 50, like for like, year on year, had increased by 6% versus the rest of the UK at that time, which was less than 1%. Now, that's not coincidental. That's because 
you know, that's not a business that's just been led by one person or by a board of half a dozen people. It's a business that is being where leadership in a, in a way with a little L is being shared. Everybody is stepping up to and feeling the responsibilities of driving performance in the business. And, and it sounds, you know, for, for, for people listening now who are either used to a very hierarchical structure and believe that people only ever do the minimum and, you know, people come to work and they just want to get paid and they want to go home, then, you know, I would say take a look into some of these employer-owned businesses. And yeah, I'm not talking about the John Lewis partnership types. I'm talking about, you know, Gripple in South Yorkshire, a manufacturing business. I'm talking about hundreds of architectural businesses across the UK. I'm talking about marketing agencies. I'm talking about construction firms. You know, there are a huge number of examples in almost every sector where empowering people with a stake and with a say really brings about that adult-adult relationship. And, you know, it, it, it enables people to actually step into responsibility. It doesn't mean they become accountable. And, you know, it's still, as I said earlier, you've still got the operational structures but really employees can deliver an awful lot more than what I think many organizations give them the benefit of thinking they can. It's a really good point and we're we're moving beyond uh, those Victorian times when we just uh, hired the body now we're hiring hiring the whole person and engaging the whole person so uh, it's a point well made. And the, the benefits around employee well-being are, are well recognized as well and, and and actually if I reflect on the last year our membership, um, and this is only anecdotal because we haven't got the evidence yet, our membership have actually withstood this pandemic brilliantly well. Now, I'm not surprised because the last set of research around resilience of employer-owned businesses was done after the 2008 crash, and it was revisited again in 2014. And the data there, which was produced by Cass Business School, clearly showed that the levels of resilience in employer-owned businesses far uh, were far better than non-employer businesses, mainly because of two things, uh, because these businesses um, organise production differently. And it's not about innovating necessarily in new systems. It's about that piece about employees. So employees stepping in and taking more responsibility. Yeah. But in the downturn as well, these businesses prioritise jobs over maybe pay. So they are they'll go and talk to their employee owners about the challenge they're having. And normally they'll find solutions which don't involve laying people off. Um, so the, yeah, yeah. So the data shows that these businesses, you know, if you really do bring that ownership culture to life, it has huge benefits in good times and in bad. So we're talking about all the benefits. Hmm. What about the downsides? Are there any? Well, it depends how you view the benefits, I guess. Um, absolutely, these businesses need more investment of time um, in order to bring employee ownership to life. So you mentioned something earlier about education. So if you want business, if you want, if you want employee owners to really act like owners, one of the things that you have to accept is you maybe have to educate them about the business more. So, and it's not difficult to do. And I think this is another urban myth, you know, that only finance directors can understand balance sheets. Um, but if you don't tell people what you mean by the bottom line, if they don't understand what profit is, then messages about we all need to pull together and improve the bottom line and increase the profits, they're absolutely meaningless. Yeah. So if they are owners, you need to improve their financial literacy. Yeah. You probably need to just improve their business literacy. But again, 
you know, there's a, a bit of an urban myth, you know, oh, we can't, we can't expect people to understand all of this. Well, hold on a second. As soon as we reach a certain age in life, most of us buy a car, then we buy a house, then we take on a pension, then we take on some debt through credit cards. So actually, we're pretty good at managing finances and we quite quickly learn what we need to learn to do all of those things. So why would you expect that, you know, people in business, if they're provided with the right information and education, can't understand it? And I've seen this firsthand in lots of our members where, you know, people who are on the shop floor, whether it's a professional service business or a construction and manufacturing business or not, are um, as trustees, for example, holding the board to account, challenging and asking questions about the performance of the business and doing that from a position of confidence because, you know, they understand a balance sheet and they understand a profit and loss account. And, you know, it's incredibly powerful to have that because that's where some of the best ideas come from as well. You know, again, I've got loads of examples. It would take too long for this podcast about examples that have come from the shop floor that have been life-changing for businesses where new innovations and new ideas that were always there but people just didn't feel empowered to offer them and they've come from the shop floor because people understand the business they understand what is needed and what are the important numbers in that business to make it profitable yeah it's amazing isn't it when people have got a vested interest they'll soon learn something so you know if they've got a vested interest in ownership then they'll learn how to be you know give them a chance they'll learn how the business will run and the best ideas have always come from the shop floor people doing the task another challenge which i I will talk about now because if i don't i'm sure somebody listening now will be thinking ah deb never mentioned that one Uh, another challenge is um consultation and engagement so again um, i've heard it said you know it takes longer to take decisions in employer and businesses Uh, the counter argument to that is but the decisions you take are better and getting people on board with the result of that decision is really quick Um, And I totally believe in that. You know, if you look at asking people for their views and opinions on things, if you involve them in the process, their buy-in to the end result is bound to be greater, even if their particular idea didn't go forward. So, yes, it can be that if you're going to take strategic decisions in an employer business, you know, do we buy that extra business? Do we do a joint venture? Do we change a production line? Are we going to innovate with a new product here? You may very well decide to take that back to the employees to get their view but you're doing it on the basis that it's in their best interest because they they are there to you know protect the the business and develop the business and we uh did a national inquiry a few years ago called the ownership effect inquiry and we were really looking to uncover what is the effect of employee ownership on the economy And we ran a series of um, hearings across the country. And the number of times people came and gave us examples of where they had engaged with employees and they'd got a far better result off the back of it. And I do remember that line, you know, you get a better, better decision being taken when you consult with people. And we know that, you know, the evidence across the economy shows that more diversity in decision making on boards is, is much better for any enterprise. Yeah, treat them as adults, as, as you were saying earlier. It may take longer to, to make the decision, but quicker to implement it, so you still yeah. win. Yeah, and less, fri- and less friction in implementing yeah, exactly. it as well. Exactly, yeah. So what about size, Deb? Is there, you know, be, there must be costs involved in becoming employee-owned and running employee-owned. Is there a minimum size where it becomes viable? Um, so two questions there. Um, costs. So the costs of transferring ownership 
um, to employ ownership rather than say a trade sale are comparable, I would say. So if you're doing this, you know, if you're thinking about employee ownership because it's at the point of succession, then it's going to cost you no more than it would a trade sale. And arguably it's going to be easier because you've not got two competing factions. So you've not got two sets of lawyers, two sets of accountants, um, you know, and it's going to be quicker because you're not going to be um, arguing about valuations and, and the like uh, for a long time. Um, Cost-wise, um, the costs will continue, I guess, to to come down because you know we're we're now, I don't know uh, what from 2014 we're seven years into the EOT and that has been the real game changer for the growth of the sector. Um, there are many more professional service firms now who are able to advise on employee ownership. Um, the transaction will be as complicated as you make it. So if it's a relatively straightforward transaction, it's a bit like conveyancing and you know buying a house. Um, it can be really straightforward or it can be more difficult depending on what you want as an owner. Um, I don't see many businesses under about five or 10 employees moving to employee ownership. Um, and that's not because of cost. It's normally because um, at that moment in time, it's just probably not the right thing for the business to think about investing in that substantial sort of change of ownership. Um, the average employee ownership trust size at the moment, based on the latest stats, which were December 2020, uh, 90 employees. So um, we're talking about the SME space, really, although there are much bigger ones um, and uh, there isn't a day goes by now where we're not getting a new employee ownership trust transition being announced. And I noticed yesterday um, a business has just transitioned um, a health company, uh, 2000 employees. So, um, you know, there are much larger businesses that are doing it. There are smaller businesses doing it. Um, but the average at the moment uh, is 90. I suspect when we get the next set of data on the EOT, which will be June this year, June 2021, I suspect that average size will have gone up, actually. Up. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Because more larger businesses are looking at employee ownership um, and even some PLCs are looking at employee ownership when they're looking at divesting themselves of um, uh, businesses within their portfolio, or within the group that don't necessarily fit their core business anymore. Um, there's been one substantial change in that direction, but I can see because of the pandemic and because of, you know, rationalisation of businesses, I can see possibly that happening more and they tend to be larger entities. Okay. So, so what we're hearing is that um, since 2014, the EOT came into play, took a couple of years, and from about 2017, it's, it's really taken off. Um, more and more people are picking up, they're, they're recognising the benefits, the all-round benefits, the win for the owners or the, the founders, the win for the employees becoming owners, and, and a win for the business as a whole. So it's a, a triple bottom line, if you like. What's the EOA doing? So what are, what, what's your strategy, your plan to uh, push to? I, I, I'm sure you're not happy with uh, even with that growth that you uh, want even more growth. So, so what's your yeah. plan and what are you trying to do? Yeah, we do. Um, so we've got a, we're a membership organisation, but our purpose is actually to unlock the potential of people, businesses and the economy using employee ownership. Um, our membership is massively, critically important in that because it provides us with the voice, the examples, the evidence, the case studies to shine a light on employee ownership. Um, the, the way that we um, are seeking to unlock that potential is uh, we campaign for employee ownership. So that's about um, finding opportunities either with partners 
Uh, so we work with organisations like the Federation of Small Business, the Institute for Chartered Accountants in England and Wales, um, uh, uh, the, the um, Building Societies Association. There's a whole raft of organisations that we work alongside where we have shared interests in business and shared interests in more sustainable businesses and more resilient businesses and more productive businesses. Um, and that might be campaigning with politicians, with other policy advisors and influencers, with the media, um, or simply raising awareness. So with the ICAW, for example, we've got a very close working relationship where they um, are happy to promote employee ownership to their members who are key business advisors, of course, to many small businesses. Um, so campaigning is really important. Championing employee ownership is equally important, and that's celebrating success, celebrating good employee ownership. And we do that through events. Um, we have an annual conference. We have um, uh, an awards um, program. Uh, we have a national celebration of employee ownership, would you believe, EO Day every June. Um, we have a, a lecture, which is in honour of our founder, Robert Oakshaw. And that's another opportunity to celebrate employee ownership because we are still a small bit of the economy. So if you if you just if you think about it, there are six million SME businesses in the UK. Mm -hmm. um, uh, they employ the numbers vary depending on which uh, source you use, but around 16 million people. Um, so a majority of British workers are employed in SMEs, but we have only about 600 employee-owned businesses at the moment so there's a massive opportunity of untapped potential so our challenge is to get employee ownership into the mainstream and and the real um, route to achieve that is through enhanced awareness so for us what we really want is we want more people to know about it as an option we recognize that not every business owner will want to become employee-owned and because it won't suit their needs and, you know, every owner has to find um, a structure that suits their needs at that particular time in the life cycle of their business. But what we do know is there is untapped potential, particularly around succession and increasingly, I think, around the scale up and growth opportunity, because the results of employee ownership directly lead to improved performance of businesses. Um, but you wouldn't necessarily uh, connect a change of ownership with a growth strategy unless you were looking at private equity, but obviously private equity has its place, but it's quite a different um, uh, offer than employee ownership. So we really want um, more awareness of it. We really would like some government, more government support for it. So we'd certainly like the government to continue its support for the EOT, because that's been a, a game changer, um, but we've only scratched the surface, but we'd really like some support at regional levels. So particularly in England, you've got regional governance structures now with city regions and elected mayors and local enterprise partnerships. And these are really where local businesses, regional businesses get their support from. So we'd really like to see a programme of investment into support for more employee ownership, um, which is what they're doing in the States, but they're doing it statewide. Um, so in the United States, you've got in several of the states, I think it's about 15 or 20 of them now, they've got um, state-based employee ownership um, incentives and support that helps particularly baby, baby boomer SMEs to make that transition into employee ownership. Yeah. Well, you mentioned, uh, the, I guess, the generations there and the baby boomers and the baby boomers are coming to the time where they're, they're considering exiting their business. 
Are you noticing any, um, I guess, generational differences between the way baby boomers uh, think about their business and thought of their business and the way Gen X and Gen Y think about business ownership? And, and uh, it's really, yeah, I, I'm sure everybody is having the same, uh, probably everybody listening to this podcast thinks the same as what I'm about to say. So, yeah, the baby boomers are massively important to us at the moment because they are, in effect, you know, the next group of business owners that will move to employee ownership but what we're equally seeing is the younger people in those businesses are really really attracted to the employee ownership model so they want the opportunity to have a, an influence and they are you know demanding having voice within an organization so to know that they can do that from within an employer-owned business is incredibly attractive to them um, so there's been some uh, research done on the attractiveness of employee ownership to younger generations. Um, and we know from talking to lots of our employee owned businesses that they are finding it's a real uh, USP to offer employee ownership and they'll use it in their recruitment advertisements and they'll use it as very much, you know, as part of the, 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 the selling of the business to the market. So, yeah, I this is the next generation's ideal business model where they can have an equity stake. They may have a direct share stake where they can make some capital gains themselves. And most importantly, they can have influence by having that collective voice heard. And that's what they want. And that's what they expect. And in fact, any business that isn't offering that level of involvement in the next 10, 15 years are really going to suffer, I think, to attract the, 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 the best skills Absolutely. Hey, Deb, I'm sure we could talk for days on this. There's so much there and you've clearly got so much passion for the topic. What's, is there something through the, the, the back of your mind that there's, I guess, one top tip that you really want listeners to walk away from this conversation, this podcast and go, that's something I need to remember um, about uh, the EOA? Um, well, I, I think from a succession perspective, it's never too, uh, never too early to start thinking about succession. So no matter how old you are, you know, you should be thinking, what's my long time plan for this business and look at the options because employee ownership is one of those options. If you've got no idea where to start, then visit our website, employeeownership.co.uk. Um, and there's lots of free resources on there, case studies, lots of information. Give us a call. We'll talk to you about what the options are. We'll introduce you to businesses that are like yours so you can learn what they did and why they did it. Brilliant. Thanks for your time today, Deb. Appreciate that, that uh, wealth of knowledge. Thanks, Daryl. It's a pleasure.